0: Please rate, review, and subscribe to Dare to Explore wherever you listen to podcasts. Dare to Explore is powered by the U.S. Space and Rocket Center Education Foundation, which supports the educational programs of the U.S. Space and Rocket Center, home of Space Camp, working to inspire the next generation of explorers. Learn more about the Foundation's mission at rocketcenterfoundation.org.
1: I am a big proponent in politics in DC, in Sacramento, uh, behind the scenes of my job, any politician that will listen to me, any lawmaker, I, I fight and advocate for over whiskey and cigars uh, and wine. Hey, you have to fund NASA. You have to support this private space industry. The future is out there. It's out there. We need to go grab it. I think I think in the last 30 or 40 years, we've gotten away from looking up and we're, we're looking down at our own problems. Yeah, the, the, I feel like the more we go out there, the less we're going to be in conflict here. At least that's my hope and my dream. And I, man, and the only way to do that is have the courage to get in the capsule, go float around. Josh Whitfield is a United
0: States army veteran awarded the purple heart for his service in Iraq. Today, he's a political consultant and works as the district director to California State Assemblymember Heath Flora. Josh attended Aviation Challenge 13 times in his youth and is a member of the Space Camp Hall of Fame. I'm Ryan Faraselli. Join me as I learn what makes this extraordinary individual dare to explore. I've got a spaceship that I'm waiting for.
1: Big military uh, background, especially on my mother's side. Um, in one of those perennial generation military families. You know, lineage can be traced all the way back Revolutionary War and everything up. So my great grandfather uh, fought in World War II. I have you know uncles and stuff Vietnam. My biological father. Uh, fought in Desert Storm, and then obviously, you know, me and the little war terrorism cousins, all that. So, big military family. Um, I grew up in uh, California Central Valley, uh, right where the Central Valley ends and the Sierra Nevada foothills begin, in a very small town called Waterford, which is about uh, about two hours east, directly on the map line of, from San, San Francisco. So. If you're driving from San Francisco to Yosemite National Park, I'm I'm about two hours uh, east on that that route. And uh, grew up there, very rural part of California. It's not beaches or or urban. It's uh, uh, a lot of uh, fruit and nut trees and orchards and cows. Uh, And so that's, that's where I grew up, but very close uh, and that's, that's kind of how I, I, I fell into the space camp world, uh, very close to Aviation Challenge California uh, when it existed, a town just about 30 minutes south of where I grew up called Atwater at the uh, old Air Force base there. That's where Aviation Challenge California was. And, and that's how the, the hook was set as a kid, uh, so to speak. Aviation Challenge California operated
0: in Atwater during the late 1990s until financial problems ended the program in
1: 2001. How old were you the first time you went to Aviation Challenge? 10 years old, I think. Somewhere between 9 and 11. I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll call it 10. Mach 2, I did Mach 2 uh, twice, and then Mach 3 uh, 11 times. 11
0: times. What, what, what would drive you back 11 times? I mean, obviously, some of that is helped by the fact that you were so close to it.
1: Well, yeah, I only did the Mach Two uh, in California. California shut down, and and that's where uh, where Huntsville and Alabama came in for me. Yeah, I think it was just it was just really a kind of a passion. As a kid, you know, we all grew up watching Nickelodeon and seeing you know the grand prize being going to Space Camp. So I, when I was very younger, I was trying to convince my parents to send me to Space Camp, um, and then finally, you know, when I was 9, 10, ish, my. My my mother's will broke and uh, she started researching it and she came back and said, Hey, um, there's this other program that's, you know, that she just rightfully thought would be more in my wheelhouse. I'm very interested in space and all that. But, you know, I, I was, I'm as an athlete, I played a lot of football. There's no doubt that I was going into the military from a very early age. And so she showed me the aviation challenge program and the fact that aviation challenge was, Uh, had a program 30 minutes away from the house, made her feel more comfortable for me at that age. As I grew up, uh, obviously, I mean, my first time uh, doing the Mach 2 thing in California was fantastic, like most kids who have no idea exactly what they're gonna find in the program. I showed up nervous and uh, made friends for life. And and, uh, so just going back all those times really is, uh, with each passing summer as I got older, especially in my junior and senior year of high school. Um, you know, the, the kids that I went to camp with and there's a group, uh, you know, you could talk to Chip Yarbrough and Ruth Marie Oliver and all the old AC guard and they'll tell you that there was just a group of us in the summer. And then there was a separate group of kids in the winter who just came back perennially. Um, and uh, you know, it's, it a very niche, small group, but man, we, we cut a lot of lawns and we all we begged a lot of family members and we we just kept coming up with the money to uh <laughs> to uh, come multiple times i think i think it went five times in a row in one summer five weeks in a row wow did space camp uh, influence you as as far as like
0: where where you wanted to land in the military I, i'm struck by the fact that you know you you did aviation challenge a whole bunch and so my gut would say you ended up in the air force right but you you
1: didn't you were in the Army believe it or not i wanted to be a sonar operator in a submarine (laughs) i think that uh, i think it's going to surprise a lot of my fellow hall of famers when they hear that actually like i said wanted to be in the navy being a submarine the recruiter told me it was very honest it was a rare honest recruiting moment he said uh more than likely you're going to be stuck sweating in the front of a bow of some surface ship instead of being in the submarines and and so i went right next door to the army and i said hey look uh I want to f- carry on my great grandfathers. Uh, he was the last of my family to be in the army. Uh, everyone else was in the uh, Navy Marines or air force. And I said, Hey, here's, here's uh here's what I want to do is uh, I want to be uh, cause nine 11 obviously had a big impact on me. I was in high school when, when nine 11 took place. And uh, I said, look, I want to be in combat arms, but I don't want to be inside of a tank. And I don't want to be in the infantry. What do you got for me? And they said, "Cab scout is perfect. And this is where it wasn't an honest recruiting thing. Uh, Little did I know until it was too late as 17 year olds showing up at Fort Knox, Kentucky for basic training that a Cav Scout basically is a hybrid of an infantryman and a tanker. So I got uh, (laughs) instead of uh, not giving me what I wanted, the Army gave me um, both of what I didn't want. A little bit of both worlds, which uh, in hindsight actually uh, turned out for the best. I I really enjoyed my job. A Cavalry Scout uh, essentially in a conventional sense um, is Go behind enemy lines and 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 scout and recon. It's a reconnaissance job, and and report to the movement to to higher command. So you know the infantry, the tankers, the air force, whoever, artillery uh, can have a better idea of where the enemy is. So uh, basically, uh, you know, scout was my job. I went to a, I was a dismount team member for most of my career. Uh, though I, at different times, I, I drove a striker uh, combat vehicle. It's an infantry carrier. Um, actually, the striker is kind of a multi-role thing, but we won't get lost in the woods there. But I did some time driving those vehicles and I did some time. As the gunner of those vehicles, and I did some time as a commander of, of a of a striker vehicle as well. I did some time with the air cav, and uh, you know that's helicopters and stuff. So I got a, I got a, just a little bit of everything, but predominantly for most of my career, I was in a striker brigade where I uh, received the Purple Heart. Uh, I was we were just on a routine patrol. This was on Easter Sunday, uh, 2008, actually. So easy to remember. We were in Baghdad, East Baghdad, the kind of, a, we're in an area called East Rashid. So it's pretty much the, the farthest Eastern reaches of Baghdad suburbs. And we we're on a, just a routine patrol. Uh, definitely, definitely was a low intense time. And there's a lot of it I don't remember. So a lot of this stuff, uh, you know, cause I took a very significant head injury. Um, uh, but basically, you know, it was low intense time. We had run across an unexploded tow missile. Probably from a striker, but uh, it's an American weapon. It's an unexploded tow missile. Looked like possibly the enemy had made it into an IED. There was some suspect stuff there. So we did what we normally do. We cordoned off the area. We called EOD, which are the the bomb or explosive uh, disposal specialists. Um, they took their sweet time getting out, which is pretty typical. Uh, they and we as as we were waiting for them to show up. Uh, it looked like perhaps that was going to be part of a bigger ambush, but we, you know, I was a part of a pretty competent unit. So, you know, we, we were fairly smart about it, but what happened is school, school got out and we were kind of on a T intersection and, and the top of the T was kind of a main artery. And then the stem of the T was kind of an, a smaller street. I was the lead scout. Uh, so I was the front, the, the truck in front. and, School got out, and we were trying to redirect the kids, obviously away from this dangerous, explosive situation. Um, kids are the same wherever you go in the world. <laughs> and, uh, kids, uh, they want to take the path of least resistance, and and it's like herding cats. And so, basically, I had to re, I had to take my vehicle out of its original safe defensive position and re position it i did it in such a way almost like a cop would position its patrol car to shut the street down to redirect kids into a different uh location one kid in particular unfortunately was being very belligerent um he ended up being kind of the the trigger um trigger man to start off the the ambush that i got caught in fortunately that that kid um pulled out a weapon and uh and uh, the, the fight was on. And then, you know, we started taking fire. Uh, my vehicle started taking fire from both sides in that very constricted area. And uh, eventually I took a, an RPG round from a top of the building down on top of my striker. And that's pretty much uh, all I remember because uh, it hit the turret, I was in direct. Um, but uh, I, there's a, 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 one of my sergeants, um, Dwayne Lemming, he was a transfer from the Navy. He used to be like a Navy welder and he welded all this extra steel on our vehicles. (laughs) And if not for him welding extra steel around my turret, I would not be speaking to you today. And that's, that's the truth.
0: The Intuitive Planetarium is an immersive digital dome theater experience that offers educational astronomy shows, live entertainment, and exciting theater experiences. The only one of its kind in the Southeast, The Intuitive Planetarium at the U.S. Space and Rocket Center offers an 8K digital planetarium and digital dome experience. Additional time tickets are required for Intuitive Planetarium experiences. Visit rocketcenter.com for tickets today.
1: for my injury time and rehabilitation uh, I, I enlisted in 2005 and I retired medically in 2010 uh, at that point what did you see as as being the next thing for you yeah I didn't know I, I was gonna be a career guy so I, I was that's probably one of the lowest points of my life um, when I when I got the news that you know my my combat career was over I didn't agree with that decision then I, I, I don't know if I, I I I, 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 do know, I don't agree with that decision now. Um, unfortunately I felt like I was caught up in the, the politics of the whole head injury thing and the Walter Reed scandal and, and all this stuff. And I, I did have a significant head injury and, and basically, you know, the doctors who are obviously smarter than a ground pounding knuckle dragger like me, you know, they said, Hey, look, man, it, it, you can't, you're, 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 very lucky to even be living independently. And the truth of the matter is they, they told my parents, um, I was recovering, like, hey, you know, you, you got to get ready. He's probably not going to be independent for the rest of his life. You know, um, you know, initially I was, uh, you know, I had to relearn a whole lot of things. Um, it was a significant brain injury. Uh, luckily, I, I had great medical care, was accepted into a special program uh, at the Poly Trauma Center in, in Palo Alto. That's a, a, a team of like the VA and Stanford Hospital. So I had excellent doctors and um I, I, I was very very lucky very blessed to get into that polytrauma trauma program uh, where the most significant gains in my recovery took place and, and now you know I'm, I'm living independent and doing well i mean obviously there there are deficits but uh without i think without that uh, without those doctors it, it would be a different story so to the to the army's credit they offered me like career like you know to get out of combat arms, but I wasn't I wasn't interested in writing a desk, um, or or being a trainer or a drill sergeant or a recruiter for the rest of my career. So I said, "Thank you, I'll take my GI Bill, go to college, and uh, and make real money." <laughs> so that's that's what took place uh, eventually. Uh, but I got out and I got into politics uh, by chance uh, through contacts in the military. I I and uh, some other folks uh, locally here. I ended up getting to meet Senator John McCain from Arizona. He offered me a job uh, as soon as I got out of the army. Um, I worked for his presidential campaign, and and largely my career has been politics ever since. Except for I took a year, I took a summer, I should say, uh, to to go back and be a crew trainer because uh, I wanted to give back uh, at least once uh, one one time to uh, space camp and aviation challenge, and I was very happy I did that. Uh, I did a little college while I was in the military, Uh, did some junior college here locally while I was recovering, Uh, a couple of online schools, uh, Brandman University and Norwich University online. Um, So that's kind of where I went. So uh, e Brandman University, Modesto Junior College and Norwich University. What did you major in? Uh, Political science and military history.
0: John McCain hires you brings you on to help him during his campaign what in what role was that?
1: Yeah, I ended up being the grassroots coordinator for uh, pretty much all of Nevada uh, by the end of the campaign originally I started uh, in Las Vegas and Clark County which for all intensive purposes is Nevada because 86% of the population lives in Clark County uh, which of course is where Las Vegas is um so yeah it was a a learning experience i didn't i didn't know anything really i mean i knew some politics i've seen the west wing (laughs) <laughs> um, I knew I had an interest in politics because of the, the whole 2000 election thing. When I was a kid, I was very fascinated by the the whole Bush Gore thing and how the Supreme Court ended up kind of deciding that election and yeah. how close that election was. It was just kind of interesting to me. So, but I, I really didn't understand anything about elections politics. And that was a definitely, I showed up in Nevada with no idea what I was doing and I got thrown into the fire. Uh, the Western regional campaign manager is a man who I, I love and adore and respect and admire John Pashong, uh, who ended up being my boss later on and giving me my full-time job after, um, that campaign was over, um, at a, a, national public affairs uh, firm called Meridian Pacific, um, I ended up getting, I, I took my year off, uh, did, did the space camp thing. And then I got a job, um, at Meridian Pacific after that. And I did that for, for 10 years. What did you do while you were at Meridian? Political consultant. I I worked on elections from, you know, from city council races to mayor's races, to state legislator races, to governor's races, to, you know, uh, congressional and Senate races. So I I did the whole gambit, did a lot of issue advocacy work. It's kind of a complicated business. I I, I was was a part of a team that got a lot of Walmarts built in California. (laughs) You know, you got to convince city councils to approve planning and zoning. And so basically... Uh, you know, and it, you know, it's, it's a, the firm was a full service firm and I did the full service of work. Um, I was blessed to, to, to be able to work with all three of the partners at different times in my career, basically getting people elected and getting things built. Um, like if you're a fan of Disneyland and the Marvel land and star Wars land, you know, our firm was involved in that Disney, <laughs> Disney was a major client for Meridian Pacific you know, FedEx, you know, it's just different the uh, politics is everywhere. People don't realize right. it, but, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the world doesn't turn, um, unless people vote on things in this country and, and people maneuver and advocate to, to get different things passed. So I was, I was uh, full gambit of what we did in our services. Uh, but I had a battle, a uh, serious battle with the uh, late stage melanoma and, uh, my wife uh, started to rein me in uh, and, and keep me closer to home. And uh, I had to unfortunately make it one of a very emotional, difficult decision to leave Meridian. Cause I'm so loyal to the, to that firm and those partners who, who did so much for me in my career, but uh, struck off on my own and, and uh, haven't looked back since. Did you ever run for any offices yourself? Yeah, I, I ran for city council here in Waterford. I ran uh, in a special election to fill an open seat in 2013, uh, and, and won, won there, and then I ran again in um, 2014 for a full term, served out my term, and I decided, uh, again, because of that cancer fight that I spoke of before and, and some other stuff, uh, you know, really wanted to refocus on family life. Uh, my wife and I are trying to have kids, um, you know, just, just re- redirection of priorities. I decided not to run again in, in 2018. Uh, but in 20, 2014, I was the, the top vote recipient, um, for the city council race again. And I, I, um, it's, it's, it's different when you're in a small town. So when you, when you know everybody by name and everybody knows you. So to, to have the affirmation, to have the embrace of, of my neighbors and my, my friends, um, to, to lead was, was special. And I, I accomplished everything I really wanted to in those five years, um, in a small town, we got a couple street streetlights put up a McDonald's and a Burger King. <laughs> um, we completely, completely revamped our downtown, uh, enhanced our, our, our police department, uh, built a new fire station, built a new city hall. Um, so I, I feel, I, and I learned this, I learned this from Sergeant Major Gleason, who is a legend and a myth and a legend in, in the Aviation Challenge Huntsville world. Uh, he taught us all as kids, leave leave it better than you found it. And that's a lesson I took into my military career and, and my two terms on the city council. I I prefer being the guy behind the curtain. Um, <laughs> I, I enjoyed the time in local government. I love I love local government because when you vote on things, you actually get to see the result. So when sure. I when I make a vote to appropriate money to pave a street, six months later I get that see the the result of that, and I get to I get to see the, the folks on that street go, "Hey man, thank you because these potholes were killing my car. I appreciate you listening to me." So there's some real like reward there, uh, but the higher you go in politics, you know, obviously uh, at the state level and as certainly in the federal government, uh, that's that's not the way things are right now. Um, but I much prefer being the guy behind the guy. Um, I'm, I'm too opinionated. I'm too, I'm too much of a military grunt. Um, I don't have the, the patience and wherewithal to sit on the, you know, to sit on CNN or Fox News or MSNBC and, and, and play the game. I'd rather just, I, I like getting things done. Right. I like I like getting things done I uh, I'm the district director for California state assembly member Heath flora he's the minority leader minority floor leader He's the number two ranking Republican okay. in the California state legislature I handle veterans constituent issues I handle veterans uh, legislative issues uh, but and we I work with a great team I just a uh, three-year effort but here in California my team and I we just passed a a bill AB 2119, which is a medical uh, foster care program for veterans. It it really hurts your heart to see how slow the the gears of democracy and politics work in this country. Uh, Nothing is done quickly. Nothing good is done quickly anyway. And the point is, is, you know, it took my colleagues and I three years to get this bill passed and signed by the governor of California. Uh, but we did, and, and we passed this bill with a bipartisan push, uh, didn't receive one vote against it. The governor uh, signed it into law, and we, we we have finally delivered on a promise for veterans here in the state of California to, to, to make their time convalescing or those who are struggling with mental health issues or those who were wounded in combat and can't take care of themselves, which could have easily been me, right? Um, Instead of you know, veterans we don't do very well. Ryan, in a uh, typically they don't do well in an institutionalized clinical environment. Veterans aren't comfortable in hospitals. Veterans right. aren't comfortable uh, being locked up in facilities. So this foster program allows them to stay with a family that probably has veteran ties. You know, it's very similar to foster children, right? You mm-hmm. know, you know, it provides them a better home than being put in an orphanage or something like this. Um, You know, there's too many veterans. California is the most populous state in the union, has the most veterans of any state in the union, has the most veterans per capita of any state in the union. Uh, Too many veterans are out on the street, too many veteran homelessness. I don't want to get all political about this, but my point is, is getting stuff done is what I care about. And getting this stuff like this bill passed is what, what is how you handle all the other nonsense that you see going on in the national news. So that's what I like to do. I like to help the people out. I have a, a employee who manages it day to day, but I own a private security firm here locally. Uh, we do a lot of like agricultural security, but uh, we do some retail loss prevention and, you know, your basic security guard stuff. We have a couple bars that we work at and and stuff like that. I found that I needed to do that for my employees because driving around orchards and ranches all day gets monotonous and boring. So I <laughs> had to find some ways to change it up and make some more money for them, uh, inject some excitement into their lives but uh basically about 80 percent of our business is, is ag security um out here you know protecting um uh, ranches and, and farms and, and such uh, we also have some uh, uh homeowners associations and stuff like this uh so yeah i've been doing that for oh man we're approaching five years it seems it's gone by so quick
0: do you do you mind talking a little bit about about what you're doing with ukraine
1: some some people that I know and served with decided to go over there and fight. Um, I think my generation of veteran is at least my groups of friends were super offended on a personal level that in the 21st century we're still we're still doing the things from the 19th and the 20th century. Those of us who have seen combat, and those of us who were in at the time that I was in, and we knew exactly the horrific, terrible things that were gonna take place over there. So we knew right away, February 24th, that this was, this was gonna be catastrophic to the innocent civilian population. Some of my younger friends and colleagues uh, decided to go and fight. There was a group of us older <laughs> veterans uh, who understood that our fighting days are probably long past, um, and we we got together on Discord, which is a a place you can do like voice chatting, video game stuff, and we were just getting together, and, and we it just just formulated, and five of us, uh, two two of my friends who served with the United Kingdom's military forces, three of us here in the United States, we said, hey, look, we got to do something because our conscience couldn't help that these other people we know and love are over there fighting. We had to do something. And so we came up with this idea of, you know what, let's go over there and let's take humanitarian aid to the places that the NGOs don't feel safe going. We have the skill set, we have the training, we have the experience. We'll, We'll go up to the line that the NGOs go to and then bringing in our own stuff, obviously, because we didn't want to take away from what the NGOs were doing because we knew there was going to be such a wide influx of of refugees. So we took our own stuff, we took it into dangerous places, dropped it off uh, to mothers and children and people living underground, living in holes, living in bunkers, living in basements. Uh, who desperately needed diapers, hygiene products, female hygiene products, food, water, you name it. Uh, we started uh, as we grew in credibility with both the Ukrainian government and other governments that were involved here. Uh, we started getting more things, uh, solar powered battery generators, you know stuff that these people needed right. to, to survive and, and help out. And so we took supplies in. The, look at the Ukrainians are very proud people. They don't wanna leave their country. Uh, they don't wanna to go to uh, other countries. They want their country. And in their pride, in their, in their patriotism for their own country, they didn't wanna leave their village, their farm, their home. And so people would go off to fight. They'd leave their families behind. And then and when the Russians came in, families of those you know, were punished, were targeted. And so there became a real need to get people out. When young innocent, when young, innocent people, young kids, uh, women, elderly people are being uh, targeted in this way, uh, it became clear of this pride of we have to stay, is like, no, please, can you take my kid? And can you take my family and get them out? And so basically the bottom line here is we bring, my team bring, and, and we've we found other groups. It's, it, I can't tell you folks how amazing So many people had the same idea without even talking to each other. Church groups, regular groups, uh, like rotary groups. I (laughs) met Rotarians from the United States and Canada who just, "Eh, we just, we're going to, we gave two weeks to help out. Uh, So many groups, military veterans, everyone you can think of. There's just such an outpouring of support. I think it's one of the most untold stories of this war. It's never happened like this before this, this huge groundswell, not affiliated, no NGOs, no nothing, just people who said, Hey, this is wrong. This is wrong in the 21st century. We got to go do something about it. And so uh, the group has grown and we've coalesced and groups have teamed up. Um, My team is teamed up uh, with a couple other groups. And so we're bigger and better. So instead of bringing like seven suitcases of stuff in, we're, we're bringing in three semi trucks of stuff in. Wow. Um, And instead of bringing two, three, two or two or three people out of harm's way, uh, we're bringing five or six vehicles of people out of harm's way. So it's grown. It's it's become more complicated. But the bottom line is, is we're bringing stuff in to areas that are hard to get to and we're evacuating people out. That's what uh, my team is doing in Ukraine. Train like an
0: astronaut and get lost in space at the U.S. Space and Rocket Center. Shuttle simulator programs are available to try your hand at piloting the shuttle and is based on both the past and the future of space exploration. Your team of up to four participants must work together to land the shuttle and bring the crew safely home. Museum admission is required. Find out available times, prices and more at rocketcenter.com and get ready to blast off. A space camp hall of fame member and you you've been to to aviation challenge 13 times uh if if for some reason somehow you were given a chance to to go up into space today maybe on a civilian flight or something would would you go
1: i, I would i wouldn't even pack a bag <laughs> i would just show up and what i'm wearing right now i i it, it'll never happen you know so i don't i don't want to I guess maybe if I'm an old man and like space flights or like airplane tickets now, which I guess is possible, uh, you know, with everybody working uh, Virgin Galactic, Blue Horizon and SpaceX. But uh, yeah, yes, I would there there would I wouldn't even hesitate Uh, if I was in a wheelchair, I would I would put my dentures in and wheel myself to the rocket and, <laughs> and put myself in the capsule i i would i would love to go to space and i, I mean this seriously if, if i didn't meet my wife i would have been one of these crazy people to sign up for that one-way trip to mars uh <laughs> i'm so i'm hopeful uh, in the future that i i have the resources uh, maybe to go i would probably sell my house to do it but my wife would beat me up but yes i would go and those people who have gone the inspiration crews especially Um, man, more power to him, Uh, I look up to him. Whatever your goals or dreams are, you wanna be an athlete, you wanna be a business person, a lawyer, a doctor, an astronaut, um, you wanna serve in the military, you have to put in the work. You have to put in the work. I, I will always have my hand in mentoring young people somewhere. When I left Aviation Challenge, I started coaching high school football and then there was a need the girls' basketball program at that high school was a disaster, so I left football. Uh, a lot of people were like, what are you doing? Uh, you're, you're you're a football player, you don't know about basketball. But uh, the program just needed somebody to care about it and foster it. And, uh, you know, we, in my seven years coaching, we've had seven winning seasons. You know, just won the school's first ever section uh, academic title in basketball last year. As a coach, you, you, you know, the media, when they talk to you, oh, what's your secret to success? <laughs> ain't nothing but the fact that I've convinced my players for seven years to put in the work and the it's the girls who put in the work that have equaled success and we were a high school it's like one of those movies like nobody seven years ago nobody when you saw Waterford on the schedule you're like "Ah, that's a win that's a we're coming in there and we're gonna smoke those small town kids and, uh, you know, I, I, instilled a mentality of, of what I learned in and space camp and aviation challenge, and also in the military of, Hey, where do we want to be? You have to set a goal and then you have to set realistic steps to get there, but it's the work it's the putting in the sweat equity to get it done. So all all these athletes that you see, all the, all these rock stars, all these movie stars, these are people that put in the work. Uh, these successful businessmen, these lawyers, these doctors, whatever. So I would tell young people, you, you have to be willing to put in the work to reach the success that you can, because you can do it. I've got a spaceship that I'm waiting
0: for. I'm flying up to the stars. I'm gonna dare to explore this time. I'll let you know what.